Nehemiah Perikhet. Nehemiah Perikhet picks up after the holiday of Sukkot. We'll see in the first Pasuk, we're starting on the 24th of Tishrei, uh, so the day after Sukkot's over. And essentially what happens in this parak is the bulk of this parak occupies a prayer by the Levi. Uh, and many parts of this prayer are part of our prayers today. It's a very beautiful prayer. Uh, a very powerful and one that puts a lot of things in perspective. And as we'll go through, we'll see that I th- essentially the idea of the prayer is historical. It takes B'nai Israel through the journey that they went as a nation from the times of Abraham, uh, throughout going into Egypt, coming out, going into Eretz Israel, uh, the entire history of the nation, to put things into perspective, to make them recognize where they come from, how they got here, and how much the national identity of the the Bnei Israel is tied in uh, with their worship to Hashem and their relationship to Hashem. Obviously, this prayer is a prayer like that is not meant just for one generation. It's a prayer that's applicable in all times, and that's why it's become a, a essential, basic part that we say every day of our prayers. And of course, as we've mentioned several times throughout the book, uh, we we are able to put this prayer in similar context to the time it was said. They were returning to the land. They were they had just built the Beit Hamikdash. They were fortifying their borders and continuing to write the history book of the Jewish people. Uh, and we're lucky to be doing the same today. We're continuing um, from the past, the legacy of our past, and building that into the future. A uh, really beautiful thing. With that, let's, let's start Periktet. Pasuk Aleph. And on the 24th day of this month, all of Bnei Israel gathered with fasting, sackcloths, and dust upon them. So first we're starting on the 24th of the month. This is the day after the Yisru Chag, after Shemini Atzeret. Uh, so essentially Sukkot starts in the Tetvah. There's seven days of Sukkot, one day of Shemini Atzeret. Uh, the day after is 23rd, Yisru Chag, the, which we're not allowed to fast on. So they waited and started to fast and repent on the 24th. Uh, Tosfot actually understands that this 24th was actually the day after Shemini Atzeret, not the day after the Yisru Chai. Uh, the reason why it's referred to the 24th is because, as we mentioned above in the past Perek, Rosh Chodesh was two days that month of that year, and therefore the 23rd day of the month was actually the 24th day to the new moon, hence the 24th year actually being the day after Sukkot. Pasuk Bet. And the children of Israel separated from all foreign people, and they stood and confessed on the sins and transgressions of their fathers. So in addition to fasting, here they're making vidui, uh, they're confessing the sins that they did, one of the necessary parts of tshuva. Uh, so obviously uh, this entire process is part of a larger tshuva process. And what we see mentioned in this pasuk is they separated from the foreign children, um, essentially from intermarriage that had occurred at the time. The reason why this is tricky is because there's two other points in Israel Nehemiah where we have intermarriage come up and the leaders dealing with it. The first, as we said, is Hezra, and the second is later in Nehemiah. The obvious question is, why is it being dealt with so many times, and what is the sequence of events? What exactly is happening here? How do we understand um, the various times the same issue is dealt with in these leaders' times? And essentially, this could be a good review of some of the history we've spoken about. Uh, There's two factors that influence how we understand this. The first is... Um, there's a machloket how to explain perakim het, tet, and yud. The, so if you remember, we had a counting of the people. 
in Pedigzain. And then we had a Pedigzain in the first day of the seventh month on this Rosh Hashanah and all the events that are occurring in these Pedakim. There are some Mitharshim who understand that these events are all taking place in the time of the counting, meaning in the time of Zerubbabel, before the building of the Beit HaMikdash. Ezra and Nechemiah were there early, they went back to Persia and eventually came back to Eretz Yisrael um, later. For those Mitharshim, this event of the intermarriage happened way before to, is, when it, we dealt with it in Ezra's book and later in the end of Nehemiah. So essentially what happened here is that when the, the time of Zerubbabel, there was issues with intermarriage. It was dealt with over here in this Pasuk. They separated how permanent it was, obviously not too permanent, because years later when Ezra and Nehemiah returned to Eretz Israel, they again each deal with that issue. That's one way to understand it. The second is to understand that these events happening in Perichet and Yod are not tied when they count. They're not in the time of Zerubbabel. They're in the time of Nehemiah. The Beit HaMikdash is already built. And if you say so, then there's then there, the question becomes between Ezra and Nehemiah, who was first? So they're both dealing with this in the time period after Zerubbabel and the Beit HaMikdash is already built. So this depends on whether you understand Ezra or Nehemiah is coming up first. If you remember uh, early in the book, in the introduction, we spoke about a machloket between Tosfot and pretty much all the other Mephashim. Tosfot understand that Nehemiah was first. Everyone else understands that Ezra was first. So if Ezra was first, essentially what we're saying is Ezra's fixing of the problem didn't actually work too well. Uh, and a couple of years later, Nehemiah came along, they still had the same issue, and Nehemiah dealt with it as well. If you understand that Nehemiah came first, and obviously Nehemiah's dealing with the issue was not as permanent, and Ezra came along and made a more lasting fix it fix to the problem. This area is a really interesting area where both Ezra and Nehemiah got involved. As we said, essentially we see a split between Ezra's functions and Nehemiah's functions. Nehemiah is more of a political leader, uh, Ezra is more of a spiritual leader. And so this is obviously one area where they're heavily intersecting. Uh, so the social makeup of the people who they're marrying, um, are they marrying Jews, are they, mar- are they intermarrying, uh, was one that obviously both Ezra and Nehemiah um, was an integral part of their campaign to rebuild uh, the nation of the Jewish people, whether a spiritual side or perhaps a more nationalistic side. Both of them would have been very concerned with such an issue, and thus it makes a lot of sense that this is particular, this issue comes up in both books. And they stood in their place, and they read in the scroll of Hashem's Torah, their God, a quarter of the day, and a quarter of the day, confessing and prostrating themselves to Hashem, their God. Here we have more of a breakdown of the way they actually spent their day. So a quarter of the day was spent confessing, a quarter of the day was spent reading in the Torah. Uh, We don't know how the other half of the day was spent, at least it's not written explicitly in the Pasuk. So the Chachamim actually learned it from a fast in the time of Ezra. And in the times of Ezra, in Periket Pasuk Dalit, Ezra writes, Essentially, the people gathered to Ezra to discuss their ma'al, their, their, what they did wrong, their literally rebellion, 
um, Ad Minchat Aretz. The hour of Mincha is essentially from six and a half hours in the day, so pretty much half the day was spent going over the transgression. Hachamim essentially pieced the two different fast days we have and prescribed from there the ideal fast. And essentially, that's a quarter of the day reading Torah, a quarter of the day confessing, and a half of the day um, looking at your actions, going over your, your transgressions, what you did, and searching um, to s- try to see the area where you need to improve and how you could be better. Um, since Ezraid actually writes until half the day, until Mincha, we see that the first half of the day spent looking at your deeds, trying to understand what went wrong, and then we have the two quarters in the afternoon uh, studying Torah, and finally at the end, praying to Hashem. This order actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, if we're going to do tshuva, we first need to understand what we did wrong uh, in order to better understand how we could fix ourselves, to try to humble ourselves and get a better understanding of where we are and where we need to be, um, and then learning to run, confessing to finally bring us to the full circle of tshuva. Pasuk David. Vayakum al-Malehavim Yeshua uvani kadmiel shevanya vuni sherevya and they got up on the step of the Levim, Yeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shavanya, Buni, Shirevya, Bani, Kinani, and they cried out in a loud voice to Hashem their God. This Pasuk refers to Malehavim, the, the Levim step. Uh, so essentially, the way that Beit Hamikdash was built in the courtyard, uh, there was a place for all of Bnei Israel to stand. Three steps separated that, and the Ezra Kohanim, uh, where the Kohanim would be still in the Chatzir, not actually in the Mikdash. The Levim platform was essentially those three steps which were used to sing. Pesuk now we start with the Beracha before the Levim launch into their prayer. And the Levim said, Rise and bless Hashem your God from the world until the world, and let them bless the name of your glory and exalted upon every blessing and praise. Uh, so there's several parts of our pasuk to examine. The first, the Levim get up and say, Blessed be Hashem from the world until the world. Uh, so two, two ways to understand it. Essentially, from the world until the world, from always, and until always. From the world until the world, for all of eternity, from the beginning to end. The Talmud understands as this referring as the Olam Haba, the world to come. From this world, uh, so the present world, until the next world, Olam Haba. The Talmud goes on to explain that this blessing, Baruchut Hashem Lukhem Min HaOlam Ad HaOlam, was actually inserted in the Beit HaMikdash into all of the 18 blessings, or, or 19 of Shemona Anyone praying in the Beit HaMikdash, in their daily prayer, would actually insert this into each Beracha that they make. Interestingly, uh, the Gemara also comments that this phrase, Min HaOlam Ad HaOlam, was created by Ezra during this time, and the reason for doing so was because he wanted to combat the people who denied Olam Haba, who denied the existence of the world to come, and so therefore inserted this blessing, or this phrase into blessings, um, for exactly that purpose, to, to instill in people the belief in Olam Haba. 
mid pasuk the Levim changed the tone of the pasuk. So they started off talking to the people and referring to Hashem in third person. They switched to Hashem So now they're talking directly to Hashem and referring perhaps to themselves, saying Hashem referring to Hashem. Perhaps the reason for the switch is they're now not referring to God himself, they're referring to Shem Kivodecha, the name of your glory, uh, so perhaps a manifestation of Hashem's glory, so since they're not directly addressing Hashem, they can begin to directly praise or bless um, and speak in first person as it is. Another interesting thing learned that the moon learns from this Pasuk is that in the Beit HaMikdash, the people did not answer Amen, instead they answered Baruch Shem Kivod Machotol Olam Va'ed uh, because as we see in this pasuk, that's what they did. The people, they were the living, were telling the people, bless Shem Kevod of Hashem. Anyone's familiar with the Yom Kippur prayer, uh, where we bow down and say Baruch Shem Kevod Machotol Olam Va'ed, essentially to replicate uh, what was happening in Beit Hamikdash. We now know the source of that. Pasuk Vav, and already as we'll see, we're getting into daily prayer, let's say, um, in the Shachari. You are Hashem, alone. You created the heavens, the heavens of the heavens, and all of their hosts, the land and all that it is upon it, the seas and all that is within them, and you give life to all of them, and the hosts of the heavens bow to you. The Levi'im here are starting from the very beginning, the creation of the world, and Hashem sustaining life to everything. And as we'll see, they continue um, essentially historically with the, the history of the Jewish people. Pasuk Zayin. You are Hashem, the God that chose Avram, and you took him out of Ur Kastim, and you designated his name Avraham. Perhaps the most significant moment in the founding of the history of the Jewish people, uh, Avraham being chosen as the one who will be the forefather to the nation of the Jewish people. And you found his heart faithful before you, and you made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Kna'ani, the Chiti, the Emuri, the Pirizi, the Yibusi, and Vigigashi to give to his descendants. And you upheld your word, for you are righteous. The point that the Levim choose to focus on with Hashem's relationship to Abraham is the promise of the land of Eretz Canaan. And the reason for this is very obvious. The, the, the Levim are now saying a prayer as, again, they're building their national identity. They're in the Beit HaMikdash. They're returning to the land. And so the Levim's focus is going to be the relationship of Hashem and the people the land. It's a theme that essentially the Levim are trying to point out has been through with B'nai Israel throughout their history as a nation from Abraham as we'll see down to Egypt and continuing through every generation of the Jewish people. We'll continue with part two of the Pedic tomorrow.